can take a lot of courage to take a leap and make a change, to turn your back on a successful career and turn towards a more creatively fulfilling path. In this first episode, my friend Kate Hall talks about that kind of change in her own life. A born storyteller who switched a career in her late 30s to fulfil her innate sense of creativity, telling stories with pictures. I will say, what were you doing when you were lying on your belly and your mum called you for tea? <laughs> and, and you didn't go because you were besotted with whatever it was. And that was me. I was always lying on my belly and writing stories. I'm Anthony Stoker. I design shoes, write letters, and this is The View From A Shoe, where we explore the creative journey. A metaphorical walk one guest at a time. Kate is a BAFTA-nominated television screenwriter and story producer, with the BBC's Holby City and Sky Atlantic's Riviera among her list of credits. We talk about a switch of career, where she gets her inspiration from, the effect of mental health on creativity, and an exciting idea on the horizon. I began the conversation by asking Kate to tell me about her earliest memory of shoes. <laughs> my, my, yeah, I, I love this question. My first memory of shoes is that my mum, mindful of the fact we didn't have, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, my, my parents were uh, brilliant at entertaining us, though we had no cash at all so my earliest memory of shoes is that my mum cut the toes out of my Clark's shoes I think because my feet were growing really fast <laughs> so she cut the toes out so that they became sandals and <laughs> so they still fitted um yeah there's, that's my very earliest memory is my mum was make do and mend from the get-go and my later memory of shoes was my mum again I was 13 so she took me to Birmingham which was a really big deal like a big shopping expedition to Birmingham and she bought me some stilettos because I was 13 and a teenager and I'd, I'd earned my right to wear heels and they were a pair of red stilettos that I've, I've never learned to walk in stilettos, by the way. Um, that was like a coming of age thing. And also, I think, an ang angry move on my mum's behalf because I'd been wearing Doc Martens and she hated them. <laughs> <laughs> she really hated Doc Martens so much. So she was squashing my, my feet into stilettos and hoping that I'd you know, following her footsteps, quite literally. It sounds like your mum was quite creative because for her to be doing that to your shoes and almost making sandals out of them, I mean, today that would be celebrated as being more sustainable, wouldn't it? My mum was a post-war kid, so she was born in 1945 and my dad was a war kid. He was born in 1940, so... Yeah, absolutely. You didn't mess around with stuff. You recreated stuff, which I think is coming back into fashion. And I really applaud that. Um, we didn't. We didn't waste anything in my household ever. And you know, I'm I'm old enough and 
probably oh god smart enough to remember when brands became a thing we didn't we didn't have brands they they did not exist i remember levi's from the hot advert with that guy who took his stuff off and had it washed um, in the laundrette yeah <laughs> so we really we didn't have any of that so everything we had was made or reconditioned or you know re-inspired or something something so yeah i guess my mum was ahead of her time yeah i don't think even ahead of her time i think it was just that's what you did that's just what you did and i've kind of inherited that i'm really not a fan of stuff um and i really don't like um I really don't like consumerism at all. I like uh, buying vintage or finding things or making things or blah. And I guess I got that from my mum who got it from her mum who got it from her whatever. But yeah, so the the cutting off the toes of the shoes was just the beginning of um, appreciating that you don't have a lot of money and you have to make things last. And just appreciating things in general. I think if if you start off appreciating things from a, from one angle in, in in that sense it was the shoes back then because your mum was you know making sandals out of your shoes then it it you know breeds more appreciation for other things not just clothes and but you know furniture and absolutely tony appreciate the maker you know these things weren't i i abhor uh the the, the idea of um, inbuilt obsolescence. I can't bear the idea that something's designed to die. I think the design to live is a massive thing for me. And um, somebody made those shoes and they put care and concern into it. And my mum was determined, I probably just because my feet were fast growing, to, I, I, I guess in her estimation, save money. But also I think it was about... These things were made to last and we can make them last longer. That's so important to me these days. Really important. Was there any creative writing in the family, like in those stages? Yeah, probably. I always say to, when I'm working with, which I like to do, work, work with people who are coming up I will say, what were you doing when you were lying on your belly and your mum called you for tea <laughs> and, and you didn't go because you were besotted with whatever it was? And that was me. I was always lying on my belly and writing stories. And, and, and you couldn't have told me away from that at all. I was always, 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 always doing that. <laughs> and it was quite provocatively, I guess. I, I went to my mum's house recently and she's... Um, beautifully framed some things we did as kids, my brother and I. And there's a there's a message from me to the tooth fairy. And then and I'm really I'm really quite angry with the tooth fairy. <laughs> so I'm asking, I go like, what do you need my teeth for? Do you want them for furniture? Do you want them for this? Do you want them? I was, you know, obviously destined to be angry at something. And that's what makes a good writer, I think. I was going to say, or, or definitely a born storyteller, more like it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so, yeah, I was always lying on my tummy writing stories. I had absolutely no idea that that could have been a way to make money. 
Um, it wasn't part of my background at all. And, and it certainly wasn't until later in life. I had no idea that that could be something. Um, and it took me until I was, oh gosh, 38, until I started doing what I do now. The options for me at school were always limited because that's the kind of schooling I had. You know, I went to a, a, a busy, comprehensive. There were only 12 of us, I think, in the sixth form. You weren't really expected to do anything beyond teach or, no, I think that was it, teaching. And so I was the first kid from my family to go to university. I didn't know what I was doing when I went to university. What did you do at university first time round? Um, I did English uh, at Sheffield, which still speaks to my heart as a special place. But yeah, I, w- I went there not knowing what the freak I was doing, actually. And, you know, did a degree, still not really understanding what, the, what on earth I was doing there. It was never really explained. Um, it was just such an aspiration for my parents to send me to university because it was so important to them that I leapt into that world. But when I got there, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. The lucky thing for me about that is all, all I really came out with, apart from really fast typing skills, because I learned how to type there, is, is um, an abundance of friends who were on the same course. So all of my friends who live in London are from that funny little degree that we did in Sheffield. But I, don't, I absolutely had no clue whatsoever as to what I was doing there. And, I, and after that, I hung around in Sheffield for a bit. I did English with drama and I, was, I turned out to be a really good actor. Uh, that's what I did next. I moved to London, frighteningly, because I had no idea. I still had no idea. Um, I moved to London to do a two-year acting course at their poor school, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think that was partly symptomatic of the fact that I had no idea what to do. So actually, I found it better to be someone else than to be me. And that's what creativity, to your pertinent question, meant for me was like not being me. I found it way easier to be somebody else than to be me for a long amount of time. Where, where, where did you get the, the, the idea or the, the, the sense of doing drama? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I always was dramatic. My brother and I, when we were kids, I used to force him to be the front end of the donkey and I'd be the back end of the donkey. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, is a really raw deal. <laughs> but, you know, if you throw a towel over yourself, you can make your brother be the front end and go the back end. I was always, like, performing as a kid. Always found it funny to perform. I used to put... Um, imagine woolly tights. You know those really woolly tights that little girls have? I used to put them on my head and pull the, pull the legs down really hard and then they'd spring up. So I, I, I call myself a bashful bunny. <laughs> so I was either at the rear end of a donkey or a bunny. Just always, always performing. And I, God knows where that comes from. I've absolutely no idea where that creativity comes from. Because it's certainly not inherited. Or maybe it is a little bit. My dad was, you know, super, super creative. 
though he's an engineer, he was super, super creative. I think, you know, it's that whole nurture nature thing. I don't know where it comes from, but I always just wanted to, ta-da. <laughs> so you, you, your dad was creative in a more engineering technical sense. My dad was so amazingly creative. He was, no, he did his day job and then he wrote and performed. And oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad was very much like me and that's probably where I got it from in some ways. He was so introverted. Um, and, and then you'd see him on stage and go like, wow, I don't know who that is. And that's exactly like me. I'm, I'm one person uh, in life and then you put me on stage and I'm utterly different. And that was him, absolutely. He was so shy and so hard to understand in many ways my dad but if you put him on stage he he would just blow you away he'd be like so different and I guess that was his release and in the same way that it is mine actually uh you know you get to be something totally different to who you are and that's extraordinary And, and that's probably what I do now actually when I when I'm um Coming up with story ideas, I'm always looking for a different expression of who I am or who people are or what I meet. You know, creativity is mostly for me about finding something, just like looking looking around really hard, looking around really hard and not being yourself, that you're looking for something special in other people or a tiny magnet of something, something, something. Um, but it's a release from who you are. When you're looking for that something, do you look more at situations or at people, at characters or? Gosh, all of those. I mean, I can't tell you one thing that defines what I do in storytelling but it can be as simple as walking down the street and watching how someone picks up a child or an overheard conversation on the bus or a massive concern of mine about the world. It's either a statue conversation, a massive idea, a fundamental belief system of mine that I really want to explore in storytelling that I've uh, always so far had the benefit to express thankfully um on on a kind of minor scale and a massive scale so when i was running i ran a show for the bbc as you know a bit uh, a big medical drama and it was so liberating because i could tell any story i wanted to in real time because it was 52 hours of television a year and so that means you can tell things slowly and a lot of a lot of storytelling needs to be quick but on that show I could really take my time in planting things and telling it slowly and watching it grow. And it was absolutely brilliant. When you have an idea for a story and you, how, how do you, how do you flesh it out? How do you, what's the, what's the process? I think I remember you telling me a few times in the past, you have, or at least on the, on the medical drama, you had a, a team of people. Yeah. That you'd, you'd bounce ideas off. Um, can you talk a bit more about how that process works? 
the best thing uh, you can do is surround yourself by people who don't have a like mind, I think, in creative terms. So you can get into a room and get a bit argy-bargy. <laughs> so, so what I usually do is propose an idea and then hopefully people will disagree with it. I do mean that sincerely. I think if you've got an idea, you need it tested, really tested. And so you want people to be snarky actually and go yeah but no but yeah but no and then and then and then so, so what I do is I put myself in a room with a bunch of writers uh probably six other people and I'll suggest a proposition and say I think this and then they'll go yeah um <laughs> and then we really throttle the idea and, and if it's not a good one, you have to be really benign in many ways and just think, okay, I've, I've thrown it in the room and it may not work, but now, but now I'm going to watch people wrestle with it. And the wrestling is, the, is where the ideas work really well, actually. So you trust these other people who have many different opinions to you to take your baby and tear it apart <laughs> and 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 in and in doing so your little child grows or, or gets you know dispatched but that's that's the objective you want interrogation and it can be quite ugly do you expect um how could i put this do you expect the team to just challenge you your ideas or do you expect them to come with their own ideas as well i always expect everybody to bring something it's really boring if someone can just tear things apart because of course we can all stand on the hill watch people being slaughtered and then you know wander down and bayonet the wounded but that's not how that that's not contributing so of course i expect people to bring something and in that, I'm utterly without ego, actually. So, so now that is the biggest thing of it, I think is true about creativity, is to leave your ego at the door. Because if I have an idea, it's, it's only as good as everything, everything else that happens after it. So what I really want from those people is to be challenged, absolutely, as you say, and then to for them to bring something else. That's actually how television works, full stop. You, you bring a script, you plonk it down in front of a team, they are going to add. And if they're not adding, what the freak are you doing? They have to add at every stage. And that's the beauty of it, actually. You write your script three times, you write it in the story room, you write it on the production floor, and then you write it in the edit. So, so you're all, in a sense, or in essence, sowing a seed and then asking the team to kind of help it grow. Absolutely, totally. And if you if you can't do that, if you only if you want to just nurse your little seed and don't let anyone, then then you shouldn't be in this game, really. You you absolutely want and desire and benefit from everyone else's vision. And and if you can't, if you don't have the open-mindedness to uh, accept that and welcome it, then you sh really shouldn't be doing this job. Just taking you back, because I know you, 
when you did the, the kind of the switch of career and you did a you did a, a new MA, didn't you, in in creative writing? Yeah. Did that come from a more creative angle, or did it include all the aspects that you talked about, as in the team and how how a team worked in in evolving and dissecting an an idea, or was it quite a a solitary affair, the MA? Or was it done in the kind of team that would prepare you for the industry kind of thing? Uh, No, the MA didn't prepare me for the industry in that. This is really recent. It's 2006. But the MA was not very predisposed to TV. It really wanted you to do film or theatre or radio because those things were, in those days, much more... um, regarded as you know higher art I guess I mean back to your question about when you were little and what you what you responded to I always 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 responded to tv telling stories with pictures I had a frightening great aunt who asked me when I was about I think I must have been eight and she said what do you want to do for a living and I said I want to tell stories with pictures and which you know confuddled her but but turns out that's exactly what I I do for a living. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, also, as I said, lying on my belly or drawing pictures. That's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know it existed as an option, and it didn't exist as an option when I went to do my MA. They were really down on the idea of you writing TV. Um, so I had to petition the board of the university to let me write telly. Um, and the answer was, yes, you can absolutely do that for your final degree, providing that you write a Bible, which is an exposition of everything you want to do in your series. So it's like, as long as you can write a Bible and your first episode, now of it's worth of television, and tell us where the next six hours are going, then we'll let you do it, which is way more work than anyone else was doing. But I was... <laughs> brutally ambitious about telly so I was like yeah okay I'll, I'll do that um so I did write uh, a first hour of television a, a bible that went with it and the rest of where the series was going and and, and and I got a distinction in my MA and I picked up an agent and the rest is history but um but I if I hadn't thought for it Tony that wouldn't have been possible so I guess your question, what, what happened with my MA? I was doing really, really, really well in my job. And, you know, my career trajectory was immense in terms of digital. But I just, I was really unhappy, actually. And I wasn't unhappy creatively. And that's, I guess, the distinction here. I just knew that I was not fulfilling... I just didn't feel, I don't know how to explain it. I just didn't feel fulfilled. You weren't fulfilling um, the, the dream that you had as a little girl that you told your, your grandmother or your, your great aunt, I can't remember. Yeah, my great aunt, funny ways. Um, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel like me. I felt like a version of me and the version of me was doing uh, ecstatically well. And all of that, but I just didn't feel like me. And so luckily for me, because <laughs> life was going awry at that point, I had the opportunity to switch everything up. And so I did. And um, I was 
suitably qualified in what I was doing to earn enough money by doing that to do my MA, which I did at um, City University. And I, you know, it was it was two years. I went every night, not every night, but anyway, it was really it was a really hard time in my life. But it's the thing that saved me. And I think creativity for certain people is actually the thing that saves you. It reminds you who you are. I went back to grassroots and thought, what what do I love most? And writing was what I love most. And I'm very, very lucky that I found a place on an MA just around the corner from where I lived. And it was it was freaky kind of planetary coincidence because I went to see Barbara who ran the course and said, I really want to do this. And and she was, it's full Kate, you can't do it. And I must have looked absolutely flawed because I was. <laughs> and she phoned me two weeks later and said, someone's dropped off the course. Do you, want a, do you want a place? Oh, wow. So I did this two years master's degree in, and, and wrote a lot of telly despite... Despite the rules. Yeah, despite the rules, in spite of the rules. And my tutors were people like Alan Bennett came to talk to us. There were only 12 people in the room and Alan Bennett was an absolute hero of mine. Um, and Frank Control Boyce and uh, Nick Hornby and, you know, the list goes on. The, 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 they, were, they were absolutely great and the good of British television, mostly men, by the way, came to talk to us on my degree course and and um, the rest is history it's like the the creative side really kind of helped you turn turn a corner it still does you know every time i i i feel a bit flat or i'm and i it's quite a difficult day to day but every time i think that every time i'm drowning i just think i'm really lucky to have found what i want to do do you have like a daily practice that you do in your own time? No, I don't, but I know when I'm doing it badly. When I'm, when I'm not, um, it's about connection. If I'm not connected to anything, it's really dangerous for me. So the, the one thing I do do is, um, and it's, it's, it's brilliant if you're a storyteller because it doesn't matter what you listen to or what or feel or believe in or blah you just have to absorb um consume yeah. yeah you just have to consume so you can walk down the street and see something or think something or blah if you're not doing that then there aren't any ideas do you ever get to a point where you feel like you've consumed too much without um, doing the output. So you've, you've taken in loads of input, you've consumed loads of ideas and situations and you've got loads of, of ideas percolating away and almost maybe too much is coming in. And you're like, right, I, I, need to, I need to empty some of this into, into a story, into a script. No, I, I just worry the other way around. that if I'm, if I'm not in a mentally healthy place, which actually... Um, a very interesting conversation to have about creativity is about your mental health. That's the thing you have to really guard, I think. And mine is 
you know, like like anyone else, it's something that has to be sustained. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't struggle with too much input. I struggle if I don't have any. And that's if I'm feeling really flat, I just don't notice things in the same way. Otherwise, you know, just stories are everywhere, aren't they? Everywhere. Absolutely. But I think it, it takes a certain talent to to see them and to recognise them as stories and then to also be able to kind of flesh them out into something more than an incident. Hopefully. That means I'll always be employed. Absolutely. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying about TV not being very well thought of when you did your MA. Do you think that's changed now? Oh my God, massively. I mean, I, I, I went back to teach there, can't remember how many years ago, and what used to be a room of a teeny amount of people was suddenly like, and, and, and television, as you know, your experience as a consumer has, has changed radically in the last you know, five, 10 years. That, that you, you Look at the people who are doing it, look at the stars who are in it, it, it supports a long-form unravelling of character and a, a slow-form unravelling of character. And that's what really suits my psyche and the way that I think. Is, is, it's all about character, 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 and people, 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 all the way. So actually, television, yeah, I, mean, I, I absolutely love it, and I will until the day that I die, um, support its brilliance at just rolling things out slowly and meaningfully. So, so you weren't just uh, ahead of your time when you were thinking as a child about it, but also when you were standing up for your ideas during the MA as well. I just think there are certain things that are true to you as a character and and... I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea, Tony, until this day, why I stood there and fought for that. Um, but I think it was just a set of principles or ideals or values or whatever. It, it, it's just, yeah, it's just what I believe in. I've never been disappointed by by this choice in life. I've only been absolutely gratifying and god knows it's tough at times you know the hours are brutal and you know not everyone's kind in telly and, and so and so sometimes it's a, a crazy way to live your life but i absolutely love with the passion what i do and i don't know how many people can say that no it's it's a it's a, a blessed position to be in for sure yeah one word that you kept saying there was character and I was just wondering the difference between character and personality and it feels like personality has been more important of late what what are your thoughts on that well that's the brilliance of uh, drama isn't it because actually what always writing about is the difference between the two things yeah, the, the the writing about that distance is fascinating if you're a dramatist. I know personally from my own life that if you're only presenting 
it, it's very it's a very thin version of yourself and it and it hurts and so if you if you can write about that discord i i think that's really helpful to everybody else to know that the, the best versions of ourselves are the most vulnerable and the most true i think and it's really hard work on a daily practice to be other but life demands that of us and so if you can present that uh, realistically and truthfully and meaningfully I, I think that's good good drama do i think people are only their persona no absolutely not the shame of it all and the uh tragedy of it all is that people don't tend to be allowed to show their true selves in those worlds that you're talking about and the fact is we'd love them all the more if they did is there an idea that you've had percolating in the in the the back of your brain for a while that you've not managed to find a place for in the industry yet uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you can't talk about it no no i can always um the industry is not very kind to women in general um and i'm so utterly concerned to bring a there's a there's an idea of mine that is an all women cast and not not because it's i don't know maybe it is because it's tricksy and a, a bit newsworthy i'd kind of like an all woman c crew as well and i don't know if i'm just being you know fucking hell come on it's about time <laughs> um because actually it doesn't really matter what sex you are as long as you can do whatever you do brilliantly but there are a lot of stories that haven't been told from a certain perspective and and uh, there's one story I want to tell about the Second World War um, which has been told and told and told again. I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, but it's mostly told from a male's perspective. Um, and so I'd like to tell a story about the munitions plants that are a little known about in Wales and Liverpool and the West Midlands, all populated by women, a lot of whom died during that hideous time because they were dealing with a lot of chemicals and that was very poisoning and for other reasons. But I don't think that particular perspective of the war has ever been told, not least because those women, they earned quite a lot of money. And so they had a bit of a flamboyant time as well as a tragic time working in those environments. And they used to sing a lot and bring a lot home. And I just think that, that might be really fruitful storytelling, as I say, from a different perspective of the war. And I've got so many brilliant actors in mind who I've worked with, who I want to play those roles. And I think it could be a little bit uh, incendiary in terms of, you know, women like sex. So, <laughs> so the idea that they weren't, they weren't the war women that you perceive 
they were probably doing different things and having a great time and you know having great sex with GIs and just earning money and doing things differently and, and feeling like they were at the front guard of being different in their lives and then all of that was taken away from them in a nanosecond because the men came home and they had to revert to their roles so i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by that flip it sounds like a fantastic idea yeah 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 we have three four brilliant women and oh just that liberation that liberation which then was snatched away i think that would be a brilliant thing to write about and i've got the writers in mind i've got the actors in mind i've got the directors in mind so yeah yeah that's what i want to do so what does it take next oh just some time (laughs) just some headspace and some time to sit down and write it the two writers i really want to work with it on are keyed up actually so September, hopefully, we'll sit down and etch this out. Time is a luxury, so yeah, I can uh, completely understand that. That's that's the, the the difficulty, isn't it? Getting people all aligned that aren't aren't otherwise engaged. No, exactly. We fill our minds up with so much shit, <laughs> and so so quieting down and just having creative thought is. Um, I mean, to your, to your, you know, the reason for this podcast is around creativity. Creativity is about quietness, actually. Absolutely. And, and, and finding that space, and that is so hard to do. It's so hard to do. But it's absolutely optimum to just be quiet for a bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. It's great to absorb and... and get all the ideas coming in but if you don't spend a bit of time in some form of quiet space to kind of let the ideas that you've consumed kind of filter and settle in place i mean totally you asked a question uh minutes ago about personality we're so used to projecting like having to be like on all the time on 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 but actually my most brilliant ideas um come on i'm off like I say, being quiet, they don't, they don't come when I'm projecting personality, um, which is necessary in my job occasionally. You know, you have, to be, you have to be kind of zingy. But I'm happier when I'm not doing that, actually, and quietly floating around, perhaps lying on my belly when I was a kid and writing a story. Nobody was we were blessed in those days with not having interruptive media so i i I would have only been lying (laughs) without any noise yeah just a just a, a piece of paper and a pencil just a piece of paper and a pencil no distractions yeah sounds perfect we've we've done a lot of talking that's been absolutely fantastic um have I answered all your questions? Absolutely, and and more. Um, yeah, it, it's been it's been fantastic. Um, I was just taking it towards the end of our chat for this time, anyway. But I'd, it'd be great to to um, reconvene at some point, maybe when you've started writing the film that we've just been talking about. 
<laughs> okay. I'll be I'll be reminding you about it. Okay, good. <laughs> keep me on the yeah, keep me on the point. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What 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 else is coming up for you? Um travel, 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 travel. <laughs> for pleasure or for work? Uh, just for my mental well-being actually. I think it's a bit on honor of my dad actually, Tony. He was he was so pronounced about his will to travel even you know he's a kid he was born in 1940 um and so the world would have been a little bit smaller i guess at that point in terms of what you could do and what you wanted to do but he was never circumscribed by that he was always a person who had big thoughts and having lost him lost is a euphemism he died two years ago um but his mission in life was always to you know go big um and I, and and in honor of him i think special guy in honor of him i really want to do lots of traveling the next show i'm working on shoots in sri lanka which is amazing sri lanka is a great base to travel to india and beyond but really really truly i just want to I just wanna go to places um that I haven't been to. So yeah, that's my next big thing. I'm sure you, your dad would be uh, fascinated by your by your travels. Oh my dad will be by my side. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just wondering if there was any quote or phrase or something that you kept in mind that has always inspired you kept you kind of on the creative path i used to say to myself if i was going to have to do anything that was difficult i i just used to say to myself it's okay kidder what we have to be is brilliant so it's all about confidence for me so anything that you say to yourself that makes you feel more confident just have to go you're okay kidder just be brilliant <laughs> Perfect. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Kate. You've been an absolute star. And thank you for listening. You can find out more at anthonystoker.com. Until next time.